Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Well, let's pray as we get started this morning. I'm going to be quiet for just a minute. We've been praying and worshiping and and talking about the Holy Spirit already this morning. But would you just be quiet and allow the Spirit to speak to you as you prepare yourself to change what you see and what you seek? Just ask God for that this morning. Fathers, we come into this room, we come from all kinds of different places, experiences and places in our walk with you, frustrations and joys, and Father, you bring us together around one person, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. But we acknowledge that the ministry of Jesus is carried out through the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that you give to us, not in a human physical form, but in spirit form brought to us in order to speak life into us and bring the ministry of God to us. And Father, this morning, we want you to change us. We want to walk out of here as a people who have been with you. And we ask you for that this morning. God, this isn't based on talent of a preacher or the talent of a worship leader, this is based, and we're only asking for your spirit to talk to us. God, church is about you. The gathering of your people is all about you. So we put you out at the front and ask you to speak. Be in our time. In Jesus' name, amen. A.W. Tozer said, The Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for His people. As I read the Word of God, as I open up my Bible, I can't help but say I 100% agree with that. That God gives His Spirit, His Holy Spirit, to fill the lives of His followers that we might experience God in a relational form through the Holy Spirit that the Spirit would do His work, and that is for every one of us who have trusted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's not for something that would have happened 2,000 years ago for just a short section of time. This is a part of the Christian life today, that the Spirit of God be given to us, that we would know Him through the Spirit. Yet my question would be, if we were to begin to measure that, if we could put a metric to that in order to determine what degree do we know this to be true in our lives, I think we would begin to see some differences even among ourselves of the amount that we are experiencing this in our everyday life. Is this my Christianity? Is this my relationship with Jesus, knowing the presence and the person of Jesus Christ given to me? Or is it simply something that's a special deluxe edition that if I could just get there, I would know the Holy Spirit? I think God wants to give us himself, and oftentimes we're lacking knowing the Spirit at that kind of a depth. 
Well, last week we began into a series just titled The Holy Spirit about the personal work of the Holy Spirit. I came across this picture this past week of a church sign. It says, prophecy class has been canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. (laughs) All humor aside, we started into this series seeking what the Holy Spirit would have for us as a church as we looked at what He does. What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? And as we did that, we walked through the history of Scripture, looking at uh, the Spirit's role from the very beginning, from creation. In fact, He existed from eternity, but at creation we see Him already in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. We see the Spirit of God is present in creation. He's hovering over the waters. In that too, last week we looked at some of the plumb lines from Scripture and we determined four plumb lines that would help us as we build a foundation of understanding about what the Spirit is and what He does. If you, did, if you were not here last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon online because I believe that every week what we're going to be doing over these next couple of weeks is building on one on top of the next. And so even if you're gone next week, would you please listen to it and, and continue to stay engaged in it and, and listening to what the Spirit would say to us through His Word over the following weeks. But I challenged us with a couple of questions as we ended. We were, these were brought out before us, and the questions were this, how open are we to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives? You see, coming from a lot of different backgrounds, sometimes we actually are quite walled off. Coming from the experiences we might have had and the frustrations we might be having, or a lack of understanding even, we might be quite walled off to the experience of the Holy Spirit in our life. Do we want God himself to be in our lives? Are we open to his work? Second question is I challenged us to find the most spirit-filled person we know and to begin to learn from them. To seek someone out that you can determine this person walks in the spirit. It seems that they have a relationship with him. And go ask them essentially to disciple you. How? How do you do this? What's it like? Will you let me in on your relationship with God and how you relate to the spirit? And so today we're going to continue on looking at the theme of freedom and the freedom that the Spirit brings. If you have a Bible, would you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to just look at two verses, verses 17 and 18. The Corinthian church is a church that was a mess. The Corinthian church was a church that was in need of redemption. Even after coming to Christ, they had walked in sin. This church has all kinds of filthy sin. As you look through the two first and second Corinthians, you'll find throughout Paul has to address numerous sins that they just keep falling back into. I can relate in some ways to the sins, that repetitive cycle of sin that is described here. They also fell into traps of ways of thinking. One of them was falling back into this idea that we could walk in the Old Testament, Old Covenant way of walking in the law and that that's what we need to do in order to fulfill a righteousness before God. And Paul writes this letter to them, helping to straighten out some of those things. And so he begins in verse 17 with this first phrase, Now the Lord is the Spirit. In other words, the Lord is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. It's an accurate conclusion to come to based on that line right there. The Holy Spirit is God. That's an important thing for us to understand because the Holy Spirit is not some sort of force out there that if we could just channel Him into our lives, that if we could just somehow get Him to do what we want Him to do, then we can use Him to do that. We can accomplish our will by getting the Spirit to do what we want. That's not what the Spirit of God is. He is God, therefore He sets an agenda. He is the creator. He is the writer of the story in history. He's not some sort of partial God or piece of God that, that is, he, he's fully God. 
And in that, if we don't look to the work of the Holy Spirit, we would miss a vital part of our connection to God. If you read the book uh, Forgotten God by Francis Chan, he develops that thought in detail. But we don't want to miss God. Continuing on in that phrase, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Holy Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Praise God. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul emphasizes that where the Spirit is, there is freedom. There is freedom. People long for freedom in life. People die for freedom. Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or what? Give me death, right? People will die for freedom. I believe that inside of us is this desire planted by God for freedom, both in our physical world, but also in the state of our spiritual realm. Free me from myself. Free me from bondage that I live in. But how many of us really feel free today? Do you really feel free? See, as I look at the church, as I counsel the church, as I've been a pastor, I realize even in my own state, even in what I live in so often, I'm not experiencing the fullness of freedom that the Spirit seems to offer in this passage. As I came in this morning, God seems to do this. Why does He always put an object lesson in front of me as I'm about to preach something? I got frustrated with my kids this morning and I kind of lost it with them. And anger built up in me and it's that repetitive thing of, I I have said this before to you probably, I never knew I had anger until I had kids. It was like it just poked it out of me. It's in me and it's not their fault. It's me. It's what's in my heart. And it comes out of me and I have to continue to bring this back. So what I'm going to teach today is actually teaching at myself, unfortunately. But it's part of our life. And here's the deal We live in a culture where when the culture looks in at the church, what they see is the old covenant. They see a place where their assumption is, and it's a a misunderstanding, but the assumption is that what God calls us to do through Christ is move up to this set of rules that we suddenly have to live by. And that doesn't sound very appealing, because if if that's what life is about, freedom sounds much better if I could just cast all rules off of myself and I could make up and be my own God and I could just go my own way. That sounds like freedom, but it's a misunderstanding of what freedom is. Because God has called us to a freedom that is found in Him in the restoration of bringing us back into relationship with Him. It's not the casting off of all restraint. It's actually found in living under Christ. So one reason why this is so important is that we as a church accurately proclaim to the world what Christianity really is. But the second thing is this, is I have to believe that many of you are like me and you don't feel fully free all the time. That you struggle to live a life of what God has called you to in being able to live that out. About 20 years ago when I was first starting into ministry, I was a youth pastor and I was just starting into it. And I wanted to teach on the fruits of the Spirit. And I still remember this night and coming away God used my poor teaching in order to help mature me, I believe. And as I came into that night, I talked about the fruits of the Spirit, and I went through all of them, and I said, okay, for example, love. Here's how we need to love people. And I gave examples of it, and I said, here's what we should do. And I basically said, come on, we can do this. 
I went to the next one and I gave examples and I said, we can do this. But I was missing the point. Around that same time, God was using a series of circumstances to help me understand part of the Spirit's work in my life in that sanctifying aspect, which wasn't all about me trying harder. And I remember one time at some point, and I don't even know if it was Rochelle or me that said this, we were in our first year of marriage and we were into it one day. And we were going back and forth and we were frustrated with each other. And I just remember one of us saying, I'm trying to be spirit controlled. (laughs) Really? Is that what spirit control is? That idea of I want to be spirit controlled, therefore I'm trying harder and harder. And yet all the while, doesn't our, oftentimes our life kind of reflect that? As we look at ourselves, those addictions that just keep going, ourselves and the relationships that seem to crumble apart as a result of the lack of the power of the Spirit in our lives, our lack of ability to move forward. And I think God wants more for us. Even the Apostle Paul struggled with this battle. Romans chapter 7, he said, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. See, the irony of all of this is that the power to move forward, the power to find God change our life, is not found in ourselves. I brought a lamp today to illustrate this, this lamp being our life. I believe we desire to shine for Jesus, that our life would be a reflection, a, a, tapped into him, that it would show Christ. But our experience so often looks more like this. And we get into panic moments of, okay, so here's where I'm at, and I hear in church when I read the scriptures, when I'm doing my devotions, I desire for God to do something more in me to to press me forward. And so we begin to look for answers of how to light that back up. Sometimes we'll go tap into the latest book or some sort of guru out there and we'll try to plug into that. But many times, as this passage today in in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 points out, a lot of times what we'll do is we just kind of try to plug into ourselves. And if we can just try harder, we hope or we think stupidly when you see this that this will solve it that this will do it if i can just try harder christ likeness will come out of me but does this produce anything no this just produces more deadness it's kind of what the old covenant did as we look at scripture today we're going to be kind of generally referencing chapter three of second corinthians And if you have a second to kind of look at the context, you'll kind of see it as I move through this. But one of the things that we need to understand about the Holy Spirit's work in our life is that the Holy Spirit brings freedom from slavery. And we'd have to ask the question, slavery is not a fun place to be. Slavery is a place where obviously the the spirit wells up or the spirit just kind of gets crushed and falls in underneath in submission to it. And I would pray that our church would not be a church, that you would not be a person who is crushed underneath the weight of it or who wells up in the desire and you just plug into yourself, but rather you find what the scripture helps us to see. So it brings freedom, but freedom from what? 
Well, this passage, if we were to look in, at it in the context, if you look at chapter, or, sorry, chapter 3, verse 6, it brings up this idea of a new covenant, that there's something new that we're living under, which implies that there's an old covenant. We have to understand what that old covenant is. That there's an old way of operating. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, in that, in that passage, it's a different book of the Bible written by the same man, but he describes this issue of what happened in the old covenant but what happened on purpose, by God's design. Now before faith came, the verse says, we were held captive or held custody under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith could be revealed. See, the law was on purpose, but the law was instituted in the Old Covenant by, for, with the Israelites at Mount Sinai with Moses as the one who received it. In the law was a series of things written out for people if they would keep God's moral law, his command to them, and they lived under that promise, God would protect and bless them. You see, salvation wasn't found just by their obedience because no one could be righteous, even in the Old Testament. It was found by faith and in that covenant as chosen people. But they were given this law, this bar that was up here. And this was the law that they were to follow. And in that... It was an impossible thing to keep, but the Old Covenant required repeated daily sacrifices of animals as a reminder of the people's sin. Those stood as a reminder of that. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 references saying, but it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so as Paul is coming to this passage, as he is writing this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he describes that old covenant in some pretty graphic, vivid ways. If you look through it and glance through it, you'll find some words. One of them is saying that it's, it's really typified by the idea of the law. This law that was put out, none of us like to hear the word law. You're rebelling right now, even as I say it in your heart, I bet. Law, I don't want to hear about law. That's not the way God operates, but he put it out there for his people for a purpose. It reveals his character. It's not that the law was bad. His character is all over the law, but it was written on stone. Moses went up on the mountain. He took the tablets. He brought the law down. It was external. They would look at it. They had to obey it. When Moses was up there with God, he, he saw the glory of God, and it, Scripture describes it actually changed his skin. His skin glowed, glue, you can't say glue, it glowed. It glowed after he had seen God and he came down and he had to veil himself because people looked at him and when he'd go into the tabernacle, people would look at it and go, something is, he's glowing in a different way. It's described in there, but that faded over time. The old covenant had a glory that faded. It was full of condemnation. He describes it as being a ministry of death. Wow. A ministry of death. How would you like to be called? You are the minister of death around here. Pastor of death. Job title for somebody, right? It faded away. It was full of failure. And it brought fear and timidity. Romans 3.20, through the law, we became conscious of our sin, though. It was never intended to save us. The point of it was that it would make us conscious of our sin Because the old written covenant ends in death. And we were to see that. But funny, we seem to go back to it. We seem to have a tendency, as Paul describes in here, a desire to go back to it. No one can be righteous before God because no one can save himself. So people were stuck in that. 
Why did it kill? It killed because when we use the law improperly, we look at these set of rules in order to gain our own righteousness. But no one can satisfy the demands of the law. But something was coming. But something was going to change. People would be motivated and enabled by the Spirit to do what the Spirit is able to do. That the law could never achieve, and so that was longed for. How would you like to live in the Old Testament law that was marked by a continual failure? It was not a pleasant place to live, although God was God of His people. It was a, it was a good relationship with His people. But there was something more, and they knew it. The prophet Jeremiah said, This is the covenant that I will make with the household of Israel. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Or, sorry, the prophet Jeremiah. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. See, in the old covenant, there was forgiveness that could be found, but there was no power for the victorious life. So you see, even by the time Jesus came on the scene, there were a group of people known as the Pharisees that were zealous for their faith. They were trying to please God, but their hearts were ignorant to what was going on. Their hearts were not changed. And so they would go out and they would follow the letter of the law, but internally their attitudes could be completely incorrect. They could stand in front of people and do certain things right, but inside they might carry hatred. Does that make sense? And so Jesus looked at them and he said, you're like cups that are clean on the outside but dirty on the inside. You're like whitewashed tombs. There was a longing for something more. And so Ezekiel 36, 27, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Praise God. Because the Holy Spirit is the mark of the new covenant which we live in today. What was longed for, what was missing was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit becomes the mark of the new covenant. Jesus carried out his work where your justification stands. Your righteousness is not by what you do, but the spirit was given to you to bring restoration to who you are what he's called you into. And so Paul also throughout uh, 2 Corinthians 3 describes this new covenant in beautiful words. It's an opposite description of the old covenant marked primarily by the word grace, a grace that's given to us by the Holy Spirit coming into our life, a grace where the Holy Spirit begins to empower us, written on our hearts instead of written on tablets of stone, a ministry of glory that brings God's glory out of us rather than the glory hitting us. It comes out of us. God is seen in us. It's permanent. It's Jesus-focused. Jesus is the justification for in our lives, and it's a place of success and confidence. And so Paul describes that throughout this chapter. And unlike the law that was, covered, uh, that was carved into these letters of stone, where no one could meet the demands, where the bar was so high, he gave the new covenant, which begins to empower us in order to live that life in ever-increasing measure. So Ezekiel thirty six twenty seven, I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. He will change us from the inside out. 
Because the law cannot justify people. It only condemns. But instead, we're justified by faith. And the Spirit lives in us in order that faith may come out of us, in order that the Christ life may come out of us. In other words, the power is the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit's missing, we don't have the power. So many of us are living a life that looks more like this, where we don't even know what to plug into, or more like this, where we're plugged into the ourself. And we just keep trying, and we can't figure out why we're not succeeding. But the Spirit came to give us power to live the Christ life, to, to light us up, that fruit would be born in our lives. One day, Rochelle was... Uh, called from the school that the kids needed to be picked up early. They weren't feeling well. And so she was in this mad rush as a young mom to get out of the house. Some of you are, are young moms. You know what, it, or you remember at least what it's like to uh, get a call like that and how you quickly are going to try to rush out. But she had other littles with her as well. And so how do you do that quickly? You gather them together. You throw what you can together and you try to get out the door. She got out to the garage. We have windows, had windows in the garage. She got out there and she went to hit the button and the garage door wouldn't open. But the kids had to get picked up, and she's growing frantic inside, and she's hitting the button. They're throwing up at school. She's hitting the button again. It's not going anywhere. So she's not thinking in her right mind because she's frazzled, and the door won't open, and we've had garage door problems before this. Why won't the garage door open? So she finally realized, hey, if I pull the, the, the release chain, then I could probably lift up the door. But we've had problems with the garage door. Did I mention that already? And she goes, she pulls it, she goes over to the door, and the spring had not been working correctly. And it, it was spring on one side, not on the other side. So it's too heavy. So she goes over, she tries to lift. It won't move. She tries to lift again. It won't move. She can't figure out what in the world is going on. She's frustrated. She goes back inside, and just as she goes inside, all of a sudden the lights in the house come on. The power had gone out. Guys, that's the way we live our life sometimes. Frantically trying to figure out why we aren't able to lift it. Why can't we do this? It's because we're looking to ourself in order to do it, and you don't have inside of you what you need. That was the whole point of the Old Testament. You can't get to that bar, but the Spirit of the living God brings you there. It's the Spirit's role to bring you there. The Spirit of His ministry is to make us like Christ, where the light comes on. Around River of Life, we've asked the question, what is a disciple? And the way we have begun to define that is this, to make it very simple. A disciple is someone who is becoming like Christ and helping others become like Christ. Look at what verse uh, seven eighteen in Second Corinthians said, and we all with veiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It's that process of becoming like Christ. So the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus by bringing beauty out of hearts of stone. If you filled out that, if you're taking notes and you're trying to fill that out, I know you've got room for like five letters. Work with me, okay? I changed it this week, and so that's why you only have just a little bit. Beauty out of hearts of stone to become more like Christ. Ezekiel chapter 36, 27, I've referenced this numerous times already, but if you go back to that, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone 
and give you a heart of flesh, which is the Spirit. I will put my Spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The Spirit of God glorifies Jesus by putting His glory in us and changing us and bringing beauty out of our hearts of stone, our cold, hard hearts that have no ability within themselves to really bring much change. Michelangelo carved the statue David. It sits today in the Academy Gallery in Florence, Italy. And if you were to go into the gallery, you would see something like this as you came in in that long hall. Down at the end is the statue David, the statue everybody wants to see, the one that is carved to perfection. Sources say that David never left his David as he was working on it. For more than two years, he worked on it. He slept beside it. It was a six-ton slab of marble who's, who was unchiseled in places at the time. But at last, when a 17-foot-tall David emerged, Michelangelo is reported to have said, I saw the angel in the marble and carved him until I set him free. When he was asked what, how he had made his statue, Michelangelo responded, It's easy. You just chip away at the stone that doesn't look like David. But before you get to David, do you see that there's other statues along the way? These are called Michelangelo's prisoners. And here's a picture of one of them as half-carved, in process, never quite finished. But that's where you and I primarily are today, is in the process of God's glory being brought out. As God sits by our side, never leaving us, continuing to carve His purpose in us, to bring Christ-likeness out, to bring freedom. It's not a freedom just from the junk of my life, but it's a freedom to something greater, living on a whole other higher plane, a freedom not that just brings you happiness of, as if God's end and his purpose is to just make you happy, but it's a freedom that brings us to something greater a freedom that brings us to a restoration and joy and contentment is found in that restoration, bringing us to who God wants us to be. And God calls that freedom. What kind of a Christ-likeness? The fruits of the Spirit. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What all the law and the prophets are summed up as? Loving God and loving people, we could put it that way. But this idea that we're called into something greater, this deeper relationship, this deeper place of living. I was so challenged in a couple, a couple of weeks ago, Mark, you didn't even know I was going to say this about you, but Mark Tabor's told, shared with me that he's been walking through the book of Mark. Ironic, Mark, that you chose Mark. But as he's been going through this book, he's been looking for what is Christ like? What, what are the characteristics of who he is? And he shared with me some of those things. And that craving for Christ-likeness, is that in you? Do you desire to be called into that place? I see it coming out at River of Life. Can I share with you a couple of stories where I see it? You didn't answer. <laughs> yes? Okay. All right. Just making sure you're with me. Um, I'll share with you a couple of them. Journey groups is one spot I see them being played out. I'll tell you a story of a journey group. A couple of weeks ago, Jeannie Kells, our former children's ministry director, her father passed away. We prayed for it in church. And her journey group came around her 
And as this, as this was happening, as the funeral was being planned, and they said, we'll provide the food and we will do the reception at another church for a man who did not go to River of Life. We'll do that to minister to that church and to, to you as a family. That's a higher thing. That's the calling of the fruits of the Spirit out. And that group came around and on a Sunday afternoon, a couple of weeks ago, they served at that place, humbly served. It was great to see them aprons and men with gloves on and and uh, it was fun to watch that that's the fruit of the spirit coming out that's christ likeness calling out here's a personal one there are two men who attend river of life who on a weekly basis after the message almost always come up to me and they either share something encouraging they'll challenge me gently on something or share some thoughts about what God had spoken to them, but there are so many times when I say only the Spirit could have led them to say that. It's almost like they know something that they shouldn't know. How did you know I was struggling with that? Or how did you know that I needed to hear that right then? That's the Spirit of God that is the fruit of the Spirit coming out of them as they listen to the Spirit and they come towards me and share that with me. By the way, I don't say this to put any pity on me, but if you're ever going to pray for me as your pastor, Sunday afternoon would be the best time for you to pray for me. I'm most vulnerable to sin, to discouragement, to pride, to just falling under attack on a Sunday afternoon. You pray for me if you would at at that time. That would be a a gift to me. But those two men encourage me. There's there's another spot where I've seen this. And this is a guy who goes to River of Life. I know him as our, our neighborhood or our street pastor. Here's a picture of him. I snapped this out of my front window. This guy uh, knows everybody on our street and knows what's going on in their lives and shepherds them in a sense, even those who are not believers. And his desire is to see them come to faith. And he's walking with Ernie right here, one of our other neighbors. And Ernie comes and sees him every day because this man pays attention to him and this man pastors him. I want a heart like this guy. I want a heart like this because this is the fruit of the Spirit coming out in his life as he's carved out. Do you see it in those stories? That calling out, that Christ-likeness is we're shaped from one degree of glory to another. And so God calls us through His Spirit to be like that. That's the light. That's the light in this illustration. As God shines out of us, as His glory from inside comes out because He's actually changing us from the inside. And that's what freedom looks like. That's what freedom looks like. And that's what I want. And I'm willing to die for it. I want to experience the freedom of our Savior through the ministry of the Spirit. But what a tendency we have to default right back to this. Find yourself here today frustrated, struggling. Galatians 3.3, are you so foolish After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying again to attain your goal by human effort? Perhaps you've known, you've experienced the Spirit's work in your life, and you're back to this again. Well, guys, today, you can unplug. You can go back to the power source, the one true source. makes you light to the world, but it also incorrectly proclaims the gospel to the world, but it also brings you freedom to bear fruit. Remember Jesus' words when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do a little. Is that right? 
you can do nothing. In other words, there's no three-level bulb in here where you get partial light. It's either on or it's off. It's either on or it's off. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And Jesus calls us to abide in him by the power of the Spirit living in us. So how do I get there? I go seek him. I go seek God through the ministry of the Spirit, through his word, through being with him, through prayer, through my my seeking and looking after him. Even right now might be a part of that seeking. And I give myself over to him. I can begin by confessing my sin. I can begin by saying I need to be empty of self and my stupid self-effort that I keep trying to go back to. And God, I want you. I don't want all this other stuff that claims it's going to give me freedom. I want you. Will you show me real freedom? Are you ready to be done with it? The next couple of weeks, we're going to keep unfolding that and looking at that in deeper levels. But this morning, right where you're seated, would you just close your eyes and take some time with God. I'll guide you through a couple thoughts. Chance for you to think through it. The worship team's going to come up and we're going to sing a song in just a moment. And you can just process through this song when it's being sung or you can sing along with them. You can stand or you can sit. I don't care. But the thing I think that God is saying to us in this passage all along here is where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Because flesh gives birth to flesh. You're just going to get the same results, more flesh. But the Spirit gives birth to spirit. When you seek the Spirit of God, I believe He will bring Himself into your life to continue to bring freedom. In the moment of crisis, when you are ready to sin, when you find yourself like me, upset, angry, frustrated, the crisis moment is right there. Will I turn to the Spirit and ask for help? Ask Him to show me how to find His help? Will I just turn into myself again? Father, help us. Just take a minute and confess your sin to the Lord and receive His forgiveness in doing so. His grace and mercy is right there ready to receive you. Your righteousness is not found in how well you can perform in the Christian life. That'll never save you. If you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, His death and resurrection is what seals you and your trust and commitment in that is what seals you. Not in how you perform, but God wants to restore your life. He wants to bring a healing and a wholeness to your life. And you may not have that to the full measure yet. But God's doing a work in you, I believe, that that frees you, that brings you to a place of life as He carves you out. A place where you'll shine, where you bear much fruit. condemnation today. I'd love for you to hear the word grace. Would you just let the Spirit of God speak to you about grace? Maybe there's a verse he brings back to your mind. Maybe you just need to hear again. Grace is that undeserved gift to you of acceptance before God. One of the graces of God is giving you his Holy Spirit. Can you give yourself to him?